Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tom, in life, are you a deconstructor or are you a classical chef? Kevin, that is so deep. I think I'm a traditionalist. My, my clothes are very traditional. I'm not really outside the box. I don't really think I'm a deconstructor or someone who's living life by putting a, what is it, an emulsified Caesar salad dressing? See, I'm a total deconstructor. And I don't mean like in the Michel Foucault sense. I mean just like I see those plates and I'm like, that's what I am. I like to collect information and spread it out. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Ornovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, interesting week. Our first tittle taste of personal conflicts. And I want to talk more broadly about sort of 
the personal conflicts of Top Chef, create it, you know, sort of uh, classify them a little bit. But um, an interesting week. What are your early thoughts? Yeah, I um I thought this this one threw me for a loop in many ways. You know, you come in to this episode thinking, oh, Robin's going to go home um, because she's now the heel of the show. Well, I don't know if she's the heel, but at least they're all piling up on her. And then, of course, that's not the case. And then the other thing is that Jen seemed to be teetering. If I if I hadn't known how how. Uh, successful she was on this show, uh, you know, coming back to Top Chef and having a long career on Top Chef, I would have thought halfway through this episode that maybe she was going to go home. So this is um, this episode. I I'm not a magician. I I really liked David Blaine back in like the early 2000s. Did you ever watch David Blaine? Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about. ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Are you a magician guy? I, I did not. And no, I, and that's I'm not. not. No, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't do that. I. I don't like pen and teller. I couldn't tell you which one's pen or which one's teller. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I'm at a loss too. And by the way, I do. I do like magic um, in a, in a larger sense. So there's this place in Los Angeles that's been around for like forever called the Magic Castle, and you have to be a member to go, or you have to be invited by a member, and it's this old timey castle. And like on, you, you kind of have dinner and drinks and then there are all these little nooks and crannies in rooms where there are different magicians doing different acts. And you just kind of roam around like – and it's like, oh, this one starts in five minutes. All right, let's do that one. It's like it, it is truly bizarre and truly unique. That sounds like fun. I don't 
Um, I don't, I don't have any magic tricks. Do you, are you like the uncle who knows magic tricks? Um, I am not the uncle who knows magic tricks. I'm a bad uncle. I'm a no, really, no, no, no. I'm not great with little kids. And I think that I'm going to be a great uncle. I think that once these kids are sort of, you know, little bit po- like adolescent, post adolescence, I, you know, come out to Los Angeles, hang out, you know, like I think I'm poised to be a good uncle. Um, in the third and fourth quarter, I, I think right now I'm sort of a distant, um, do you want to hold the baby uh, kind of uncle? <laughs> well, I think in this episode, I think uh, the magic, the deconstruction aspect of it, I think it played very well. Um, I enjoyed that. And I think we'll get into this later, but almost getting something that you wished for, or if they did a draft of foods instead of just pulling knives. Um, I don't think that would have served them very well because I think it actually didn't correlate whether you liked the dish that you got and how well you performed. Oh, totally. Because that kind of brings us to a huge top chef debate, right? Is, you know, is it good to just have something that you're overly familiar with or is it something, is it good to just kind of throw it all away and start from scratch? No, I think the elimin- uh, I'm sorry, the elimination challenge, which was deconstructing kind of a classic, not so much classical, but a well-known dish. I think on first blush, as you said, you want the simple dish, but I think you want the dish with a lot of components because you can go a lot of different ways. Like one of the reasons Kevin was able to win with chicken mole negro is not just because he's a great chef, but like there's a lot. I mean, mole by its very definition has like freaking 30 things in it. And so he can go crazy. Here's some little coffee beans or cocoa sprinkled and here's the fig, you know, like, and whereas fish and chips, potato, breading and fish. I mean, she's got to do better. And I think, you know, she missed an opportunity with like deconstructing tartar sauce a little bit. And, you know, there's some ways to go, but I think the more elements in the dish, which is normally a disadvantage becomes an advantage. So you would you would do well at this. So if you were still in the competition in this alternate universe, Kevin, and they asked you to deconstruct um, a a cheeseburger, you'd feel like you could nail that dish. Um, yeah, I think you do this really great, like, like steak tartare, okay. and you know, and I think. All right, so I, this is on the spot, right? So <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. I did not give you this in this show pre-show notes. Right, right, no. right. Okay, so you know, so you have so, to deconstruct a, a a cheeseburger on Top Chef. You have thirty minutes. Right. No, not. I mean, not thirty. Oh, yeah, minutes. Yes, yeah. I get the full thing. All right, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a little onion tart on the plate. You know, because mm. the, the the caramelized onions that are on a really good burger. So. Mm. It's sort of like maybe I'll do – and I know this is against like don't do three things. But I think with the deconstruction, you have to do. Like actually – You you do. Right. Like they'll ding you if you don't do a couple different things. So an onion tart, um, a brioche for the bun with like – what would the brioche have that we need? Maybe a brioche. Would you throw the cheese in there? Right, right. So you know what? A cheesy brioche. Mm -hmm. So you get the cheese in the bun. You get the burger on that. You get the caramelized onion and then a simple salad with some flair with lettuce and tomato, right? Like a, like a little bit – you know what? 
just a little tomato salad. You macerate the tomatoes and some good vinegar and, you know, maybe some chives or whatever. And, you know, that's how you do the tomatoes. Do you do like a sesame oil tartare type thing? Like a little bit of um, just to give it a little bit of kick. And then just the, the sesame seeds on a, on a Big Mac is what I'm yeah, trying to Yeah, I mean, so, oh, actually, that's a great idea, right? And you could do that. And actually, you know what? I think there's a way to do some kind of like egg yolk special sauce right in the middle of that tartare. Oh, yeah. So there's your special sauce and your beef. You got the brioche and the cheese. You got the caramelized onions. You got the little tomatoes, you know, kind of little salad on the side. And there it is. Those are your four elements. I don't think you need the lettuce. If they ask me, I'm like, I freaking hate lettuce. It's just filler. And maybe they laugh. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the lettuce. Like I, I oftentimes when when I'm in a burrito line or if they're uh, or on a burger and I'm at like a, a buffet burger line at, at my house or if I'm at a buddy's house and they have the whole, you know, spread of toppings, I don't really go for the the lettuce. I'm right. not, not a fan of lettuce on a burger anyway. One other thing you could do is say, okay. hey, you can't have a burger without fries and do some sort of potato element, right? Like and because mm. I do think burgers and fries, in fact, I would even wonder if that would be the kind of the actual thing but yeah it's a really fun challenge it was interesting to see kind of a la our little open who was classical and who was like oh yeah this is fun um so you know that's cool no love for robin no yeah, love right off the bat, kevin i mean did you feel that before i think i kind of felt it i think they were kind of you know marinating that in the beginning episodes well I think it was interesting. What I didn't know about her is she's like Maury from Goodfellas. Like she's going to get whacked just because like she talks too much, you know, like, (laughs) like, you know, he never shuts up in in, in the show. You know, so I I think she's a little bit like Maury um, from Goodfellas. Uh, And and so I think like I I was very amused at Laureen's just like, look, I can't freaking take it anymore. Yeah. And um can we talk about Mateen's little solidarity? Everyone wore red, red scarves. For adorable, him? adorable. Wow, I didn't know that, that they they were really shook up about that. It would be, you know, what I would love on every season of Top Chef for every, and I think you'd have to do like the top twelve because I think you wouldn't know the other chefs. Every chef rank the other eleven chefs in likability and like desert island who would you want to be with i'd be and then they publish the scores and they're all anonymous should be like a chef favorite rather than a fan favorite exactly like mm. and oh but i love everybody uh-uh. rank them no gotta rank them rank them so that would be really i mean did you notice who didn't wear the red scarf no who didn't robin well the, do the women i can't remember do the women wear yes laureen wore it uh jen wore it i believe um and the only person that I spotted was Robin, the villain, coming out and not wearing the uh, the red velvet. And I think me, the the red um, bandana. I think the the reason is because a lot of them feel that she should have been voted off instead of Mateen. And yeah. so maybe she's like, "Screw you guys! I'm gonna I'm not wearing this thing. If you guys think I should be sent home, I'm not part of that." So I can see why she would uh, be anti-red scarf team. Tom, in in sort of the classification of villains on Top Chef, she's not like an aggressive, like, black hat bad guy, like in the old Spy versus Spy. It's like she's just kind of a nebbish. She's an annoying, yeah, again, a Mori, not a a Pesci. Mm. 
You know, yeah. she's she's not going to whack anybody. She just, you know, she's just like, she's not vindictive. She's just her, uh, she's chatty. She's people people are annoyed by it, and um, and so you kind of the way the magical elves, the editing team made you think was that um, they're all just going to gang up and try to get her to go home. And look who takes home uh, the quick fire win. I mean, that was sort of um, mean. Did you hear? I mean, as vicious as an insult I've ever heard. Eli after Holy that. Holy shit. Oh, man. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Do you think he wanted that to air? I mean, you, if you say it, you say it. If you say it. it on camera, you kind of have to own it, right? I mean, yeah. He said, um, that's one way to win a quick fire is just to tell people you had fucking cancer. Weak, he said. Um, um, Eli, I mean, she must be really annoying. <laughs> I mean, she must be re- for you to say that about another human I mean, being on the record on air, um, a, a two-time cancer survivor, and and just just eviscerate her for that for mentioning that, and not even like that's also slight against the judge, right? Isn't that a slight against Michelle Bernstein too that she was. Uh, moved by the narrative of her dish rather than the actual dish itself. Well, A, we don't know that. And someone made the point that she likes very simple food. Um, I have a Michelle Bernstein story. Let's hear it. So you know very well that Senora Martinez, her restaurant in the sort of early aughts. Um, Design district Miami. Yeah. Um, or no, actually late aughts, early teens was my – off night hangout when I was marooned in Miami for like nine or 10 months. It just, there was this deconstructed Caesar salad that was so good. I used to think about it and it was like my comfort food. And I get like, I get like a steak with it or whatever I got. And one day they take it off the menu and I am like, Oh, come on. Maybe I can order it off the menu. And they just didn't have, they didn't have like the ingredients or whatever, or they wouldn't do it for me, you know. And on the way out, it turned out Michelle Bernstein was holding court in one of the booths. And I came up to her. I said, I just want to tell you how much I love. This has become my home away from home. And it's just amazing to have a restaurant that can do that for you. You know, I'm here for a year and I needed a clubhouse and you've provided it for me. They also had a TV in the back bar so I could watch like, you know, I could watch the games or whatever. And I said, I only have, she's like, oh, thank you. And I said, I have one request, though. I am devastated that this deconstructed Caesar is off the menu. That is my not only my favorite dish, and like that is truly one of my favorite dishes of the last ten years. And she's like, "Thank you," but you know, I think one of the funs of having a restaurant is you kind of switch up the menu. And I said, "I know. Can you switch up some other something else?" And I think, like at a certain point, out she's like, "Yeah, okay. You know, I, I'm done being nice here. Like that. This is his problem." But I love that deconstructed Caesar. Wait a minute, Kevin. Are you saying that maybe Top Chef inspired her to put a deconstructed Caesar on her menu? No, no, no. no. Oh, I wonder. Yeah, right. Because, well, no, no. What year is this? 08, 09? Maybe. That that Michael will t- – well, tell me about the dish. What did you love about it? Oh, I mean it just was – it had, I think, this emulsified egg that is just like so good. Like I'm such a sucker for egg yolk. I mean mm. sometimes I even – I'm in a – confess here i've been known to eat egg yolks raw i mean i love <laughs> like i i love egg yolk 
I just think it is – like it, if they served it as a condiment, like you could get it in a squirty bottle, I would buy that shit. Like, All right. You know, and so give me – you put an emulsified egg yolk on a plate, like I'm with you. All right. So I, another confession here is you are the only person who has ever made me eggs that is – the opposite of when you order egg whites. You just gave me scrambled eggs with straight up egg yolks. Yeah. And but- it was delicious. It was delicious. It felt it felt kind of decadent, um, gluttonous to just eat the egg yolk after years of being like, oh, can can I just make that with uh, egg, egg whites? Can I get the egg white um, omelet, please? It was like – it was kind of one of these moments. Of, Why don't more people just do an, a scrambled egg yolk? Well – um, no, so my trick is this: it's four yolks against like two whites. Um, okay, so, okay. But the secret ingredient to great scrambled eggs is a little bottle cap of vermouth, dry vermouth, not the sweet stuff, and it just gives it. I, I so a friend of mine of Greek descent, actually, her name is Anastasia Souklas. She is it one of the music directors at, at NPR, um, an old classmate of mine uh, who I adore, she taught me this. And okay. it is the go-to move. It is just everyone loves those eggs. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but everybody loves those eggs. Damn good. Yeah. Damn so good. It's but, the but, secret ingredient, the driver move. Where did the egg yolk thing come from? Did, did you have a family member who was big into egg yolks? No, or I did mean, you just Tom, realize like it's this delicious. Is- you know, that's like asking like, oh, where did you get your love of foie gras? You know, where did you get your love of Greg Maddox's pitching? Where did you get your love of Ray <laughs> Allen's jump shot? Like, it's just good. I can't, I can't argue, but, but you never see that on a menu is like, well, actually at, um, at Michael's Genuine, they have, a um, this wonderful egg yolk dish. So I can't I can't say that no one does this or how rare it is, but I will say to the people here, if you do have the chance to have Kevin Arnabit's cooking, please order the uh, the the scrambled eggs. It is delicious. Uh, Back I've, to the show. Wait, yeah, yes, Michael Voltaggio has one of the great egg yolk dishes of all time. At Inc., may it rest in peace. The egg yolk gnocchi. It was these little teeny purses, these those gorgeous dumplings. I would order two. Because I wanted my own and I wanted to like the one that's a share. And there's only one other dish I do that with in Los Angeles, the beef look lock at Newport Seafood. Got to have my own when I used to eat beef. Um, so it, like, that's how strongly I feel about Michael Voltaggio's egg yolk gnocchi. So let's talk about Michael Voltaggio because he does this deconstructed Caesar salad that may or may not have inspired Michelle Bernstein to do it at Senora Martinez there in Miami. Um, a great spot. Um, may it rest in peace. But the the judges actually didn't. Um, well, actually, we, that's they didn't like his uh, his quick fire. He got on the bottom. Oh no, no, he was on the top. I'm sorry, the modern smoked salmon. I'm like, it was Brian who was on the bottom, of course, because he is so Mister Non Quick Fire. But in the- yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to the Caesar salad later. I I, I jumped the gun there, but no, the, it's okay. We got the quick the- fire. It was interesting. The salmon, the salmon dish, I thought was going to be the winner for sure. I thought his salmon was brilliant. I thought it it was very con- uh, conceptualized. It made a lot of sense, um, and it showed a lot of his technique. Where he's just he's so light years ahead of everybody in this competition. It feels like, um, and he just he just 
is able to see it's almost like he gets the challenges all before everybody else. That's what it feels like to me, Kevin, is that Michael Voltaggio has gotten the script for every episode before it actually happens because the way that he actually thinks through and and what he puts down on the plate, it looks like something that would you would serve at a restaurant every single time. Right. Um, yeah, he's he's incredible. I think it's just he's a fast thinker and I think that's you know one of the great things. I have to pick on your favorite character. Ash? Yeah, I got to pick on him and I'll tell okay. you what. This guy is Mr. Overpromise and Underdeliver. I feel like every single quick fires, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do two custards. Oh, never mind. It didn't work. I'm going to do a soap ad. Yeah, it didn't, you know, thing. I'm going to do sweet potato ice cream. Well, it kind of turned into a custard. You know, like I just feel like his whole thing is I'm going to do X. It didn't work out, and he kind of sheepishly tells the quickfire judges, "Yeah, I was trying to do X, but I mean, like, I love the yeah, guy. he ran out of the juice, the the jus on a right. on the, it, when he did the Ron dish too. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like he's always like, how many times in quickfire does he declare I'm going to do X, and he does he cannot pull off X? And you're right. I don't mind the ambition, but at a certain point, are you going to deliver? Or are you just going to sheepishly be in front of? The judges apologizing for not being able to, you know, come through on your dish. And I just feel like that's every freaking time. I'm going to do, you know, I mean, what is like, I'm going to do two custards. Like, by the way, I, you know, asparagus in, in the sweet one, you know, but, and so I end up doing asparagus with the peppercorns. You know, and he ends up on the bottom again. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, you know what he didn't do? What? A scallop. He what didn't. this this is top chef not top chef uh, scout man three out of 12 25 percent of the chefs tom <laughs> I, i'm doing the calculator in my head three out of 12 25 percent did scallops and actually didn't one of them like do exactly the same way the crudo and like the sear yeah yeah like ashley did crudo and sear with putinesca and jen did crudo uh, with butter sauce. Ashley was like, uh, here's two, two scallops. One is salty and one isn't. I was like, what? <laughs> like the, like the, the whole, the whole like angel and devil aspect of this, uh, of this challenge, the duo, um, it, it left open to interpretation. And that was really exciting to see is that, oh, let's, let's see what they put together. And some of them were just like, what, how did that make any sense? And I know one of the great ethos of this show is just, Re reverse engineer your your idea is just come up with a concept and then tell the story and make it fit. But in this one, you kind of had to have two separate things. Um, and I, I I think Kevin did well with his deviled egg um, with a of course pork. Uh, the, there are so many scallop dishes that I can't imagine you were going to separate yourself if if twenty five percent of the field is doing a particular dish. I think the judges are just tired but of that. Eli got on top with his scallops. He did mm-hmm. one with the radish top pesto and 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 then you know the barley and brown butter risotto with the scallop, which does sound great. You know, Eli's an interesting contestant. I feel like on Top Chef every mm-hmm. season there's an Eli. Like there are these bursts of creativity. He makes food that looks really yummy and, you know, but he's kind of a middling, you know, a middling contestant. And I, I feel mm-hmm. like that is sort of almost an archetype in, in Top Chef. And, uh, you know, he'll finish in the middle. Uh, he'll be out somewhere between, you know, six and ten. And uh, I think actually as a, I have not looked at the results um, since uh, 
since we declare we were going to do this. Like, I purposely have not. I mean, I know what the finale is just because it's, you know, I, I remember that and it's memorable. But on- Eli, you're right. He's just kind of in the middle. Like, he's just always in the middle. Um, and he's boys with Kevin. Um, he had that zinger on uh, on Robin, which was, I mean. Awful. Again. I'm just going to call it. It's awful. And I think anybody it, who's like, look, I'm a kind of Lenny Bruce George Carlin, you know, in the in the current cultural debates, I'm a, I'm firmly on the free speech, free expression, free thinking side. I'm not saying he shouldn't be allowed to say that. It's just demonstration of real assholery. Like it just is. I mean, anybody who's had anyone dear to them fight cancer and and lose, I, I, you know, look. I, it's a sentimental play by Robin. I admit it. Sure, it's, sure. But she's got to she's got to actually perform the dish. Yeah, like the yeah. dish has to be good. This dish know? has to be good, and it's a it's a contest. And by the way, what's ironic is, look, I think Kevin rightfully in season seventeen, you know, his friend Kevin, yeah, was you know staring down death, and it's a huge part of his narrative. And I think, look, very much there's a reason in this show at some point several points in the season they will ask you to prepare a dish that reflects sort of the great story arc of your life or based on an event in your life or your childhood and and i always have a i always like those challenges because i think kind of interpreting personal narrative is a cool thing and you know you can do that in different mediums i mean you can do that in a you know tom you're working on something that does that and and you can do it in a short story you can do it in a you know an essay and you know Doing it with food is really interesting, and it's not something I ever, ever thought of before I started watching Top Chef. That a dish can be a reflection of someone's, you know, personal story. So I don't mean to be schmaltzy, and I don't know that I would care for Robin. I'd be one of the annoyed. I just think it's total assholery. It is. It is. And uh, again, I don't know what the hell she is like off camera to to yield such a response like that. So. Um, Eli, Eli gets in the top three along with Michael Voltaggio. Robin wins it. And I did notice that Michael Voltaggio was not clapping when she won. He doesn't need to get the pom-poms out for, for Robin or for anybody else who wins. But there, it's clear from even what Jen Carroll said earlier in the show that Robin's gotten lucky so far. Mike Isabella is not a fan of her. Uh, he said that she can't, can't cook for shit and it's got a sting. It's got to sting, but I want to talk about one chef here before we move on to the elimination challenge. I think I know who it is. Brian Voltaggio. Yep. Brian Voltaggio's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's like watching Greg Maddox. Well, actually Greg Maddox can hit, um, but it's, it's like watching a starting pitcher hit where it's like, you no, can be sh- throwing Shaq doing free throws. I think you made that parallel. Yes. Shaq doing free throws. Yes. I might've even brought that up with him in, in person or on zoom. This is hilarious. He tries to do the devil and the um, the devil and the angel with like a white uh, coconut leashy custard or whatever it was, and then the chalk, dark chalk, whatever. And it looked like vomit on the plate. It, like, I, like, I don't know. It looks like he, he dropped a paint ca- two paint cans onto the plate. And they, I disagree. I thought Michelle it Michelle fine. Bernstein did not like it. She was not a fan, and it, he finished in the bottom three. And it just – it feels like this is a recurring nightmare for Brian Voltaggio, even from this episode of Top Chef. 
um, that he has a an Achilles heel, a blind spot for the quick fire, and he's just trying to fight. I have another idea for a quick fire. You know how in the NBA right now in the bubble they have all those digital renderings and people sitting at home and like kind of as, as looking like the crowd. So just for, for viewers who are not NBA fans, so um, the NBA is playing in an empty gym uh, as a result of COVID. It is a wonderful experiment. It's working very well, but to give the little the empty gym a sense of fans being in the stands, like there are a bunch of fans of the team who is declared the home team sort of set up in front of their, like imagine like they're doing FaceTime video or something and then they're rendered you know, on a, like a seat and it looks like they're in the stands. What if on quick fire, like chefs could have like people or former contestants in the stands. I think that'd be really cool. You know what? Maybe we need to forward this over to, uh, to Deneen, um, and get this as part of, uh, the next season. I never that is. That would be really cool. You could have fans of the show. You could have former chefs. You could have like one of the big ones is mascots, which I think is kind of funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, I just, it it is, I, it's something I thought of, um, this week. You liked Brian Voltaggio's dish. No, no, I look again, the great flaw of this show. And there's nothing they can do about it until like, like somebody like in a hundred years, we'll have the technology is you can't taste the food. And at the end of the day, we can debate, we can argue who had the best dish, at the end of the day, I didn't taste it. Yeah. All yeah, I'm saying true. is I don't think the presentation was a problem. I, I just like okay. I've had great looking dishes that look deconstructed. I don't think it actually had this great black and white quality, which is what he wanted to do. I just think clearly it didn't taste great. So um, and yeah, you're right. I, I don't know that it's her aesthetic, but nevertheless. Kevin, let's move on to the elimination challenge. Absolutely. I loved this challenge. Mm, I knew it. I knew it. As soon as I heard it, I was like, ooh, this is going to be really, really good. And Kevin's going to love this. I thought it was I thought it was really uh, interesting to see how they interpreted deconstructing. It just requires creativity. It's not a contest or an elimination challenge that you can get away with your down-home cooking. I have nothing against down-home cooking. Some of my favorite food is down-home cooking. But it just demands a level of creativity that really separates the chefs. And by the way, there are chefs who are better than other chefs who you know, just happen to be more creative in conception, um, even if they're not in execution. Uh you know, I, I thought Eli's dish, he, didn't, he kind of finished in the middle, his sweet and sour pork, and he did like the pork croquettes, um, which was very smart. Uh, you know, um, but I, I think it really, really tests the boundaries of their creativity. And, and I love any challenge that does that. Okay, so in this case, they drew knives and they didn't get to choose their dish. And, you know, Ron gets the paella and he says paella and just gets really excited because he makes this dish all the time um it's a staple of his restaurants it's a staple of his cooking and he gets really excited about this meanwhile when michael voltaggio gets caesar salad i'm thinking oh man he's got to be really pissed about that no 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 michael voltaggio is doing backflips for the caesar salad because he could. He had a few elements that he could play with, and he just he nailed the dish. Then on the other hand, you had Jen Carroll, who was just in the mud the entire time, 
not happy about it. Playing hard to get with with Tom Colicchio, just playing keep away. I not- loved that. That was one of my favorite moments in recent mystery on the show. Like, can we get can we get a uh, can we get like a, a video, just a um, a raw video of her just playing like a magnet flipped on its side, where she's just running away from Tom? Well, the irony of that, of course, is and and I adore Jen, and we I think she's one of our favorite contestants ever. Is the time she did like used to get away, she just would have been better off being really curt with him for like a minute when he kind of sticks his nose in her prep. And that was a thing like she must have spent in aggregate three minutes playing keep away. Well, shit, just, just suck it up. Get the thing. And I, and I, and I, say, I say this with great affection. It, it was great. And, and the funny thing is, is that it turned, her dish turned out really well. I did not expect that. But my point, my larger point here, Kevin is, do you think there's any correlation to what dishes they got and how well they perform? No. Like like it just you just have to have a base of creativity, right? No, I mean some people who had really like pot roast. In fact, pot roast and mole negro are on the different the ends of each spectrum. Like I was concerned for Ashley cuz it's 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 basically pot roast and potatoes. Like like where's the deconstruction? I mean, what what are you going to how do you deconstruct a hunk of meat? Like, I don't know. You could do it like three ways, and but I, that wasn't the challenge. I think they would ding you for that. And she just nails it. And, you know, I for, like get that like pot roast can often be served with carrots. I totally forgot that. And, and she does the crispy shallots, um, the potato puree, um, and I just – in the strip – she does a seared strip loin. And I just think that was hard because there's not a lot to draw from it, whereas Kevin Moly has, as I said earlier, like a gazillion ingredients. Yeah, so explain to me why her pot roast, Ashley, was deconstructed. Well, that was the challenge. What do you mean? But I'm saying it didn't seem very deconstructed to me. It seemed like a hunk of meat and then the ingredients surrounding it. Well, no, I mean, I, I think I've seen pot roast almost served as this kind of almost a stew. We have those little sliced uh, mushy carrots and and potato, like little wedge and triangle potatoes. And so I think it was like that was her thing is, hey, pot roast is often served this way. Um and and I'm going to – those elements. She included those elements. I didn't I, – I forgot about those elements, but they're still really like – Yeah. Um, I mean yeah. it's a stretch in some ways. You're right. Like often it's not. Um, you know. I just I just I was pot. worried that they might be looking at the dish or the plate and being like how – I don't know. Inverted is this very much? But um, you know the – she – I think Toby Young said it was the, the best cooked meat of all of the dishes they tasted. Um a little, mo- a little talk about Toby Young. So, did he ha- did did Gordon Ramsay exist before Toby Young? Was Gordon Ramsay kind of like the Vince Carter after Michael Jordan, or was it the other way around? Like Toby Young as the the really loud, abrasive, just rip your heart out TV chef. Was he before Gordon Ramsay? Um, I don't know, but he kind of moved out of food at a certain point, like. Food has only been one chapter of his life. He's a he's a Tory, so he's kind of on the right in in the UK. I think I think he was at the Spectator for a while, which is you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, maybe I would call it maybe center right in the UK. So like, that whole Mich- the, the glorious uh, exchange with Michelle Bernstein that isn't kind of totally off base for him to to mock people who have uh, indigenous pronunciations. Oh yeah. I mean, look, he's a old school Oxford question time, like just provocateur. Like he is 
Like he is big time. And he actually got in a little trouble. Um, like he sort of subscribes to a certain Darwinism that some people might call eugenics and they might have a point. And he's sort of like quasi canceled. And um, I also think he might have. No, I, I, actually, I, never mind. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, yeah. So, so- Toby Young, Toby Young is is not Gordon Ramsay for reasons that he's not loud and abrasive in a kitchen. It's just things, other things that he's uh, been a part of. No, he does not fuck around. I mean, he yeah. is. Um, you know, he does definitely. Yeah, and he's kind of moved on to, you know, uh, just. But it's part of his persona, like the provocateur. I want to call it shtick because I, mean, I think he's probably legitimately combative, but that is his story. So, um, but I, okay. I mean, I love him on the show. I mean, I got to tell you. Yeah, he was, uh, he was good. He was good. And I always, I, I do think that we need, always need a judge who's just, you know, unfiltered and will just say the thing that you might be thinking, but you're too polite. Like that's always a good person to have on the show. And Tom, you know, Tom kind of plays that role. Uh, and Padma does too. Um, but I, I do think that he was, he was integral to this. And I kind of forgot that Penn and Teller, part of their gimmick is that one talks and one does not. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was kind of delight, delightful on this. Yeah. I mean, one of the great things about, uh, Toby Young, you know, we can close this out is he also just kind of distills it down. This is the dish I would least like to eat again, which is just like a, you know, when it all comes down to it, you can debate, but really it does come down to that. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's some creative considerations, but, you know, this is the best cooked meat. Like, I appreciate that he distills it down to a certain, you know, to certain criteria yeah. that help us make sense of the show. Yeah, that's right. And uh, like Ash, I would be terrified to be serving him shepherd's pie. Um, but again, like... He can't execute. I mean, I love oh, the, the potatoes. Guy. The potatoes. Uh, it's I mean, two thirds of the dish, but I uh, somehow just couldn't do it. I couldn't and, pull it off. And I'm sorry, but it's. I mean, I hate to say it. Like, it's not that hard. Like, it, I mean, <laughs> it's not that hard. I've done purees. Like, I'm not that advanced a chef. I mean, dude, you know, it, it's like every. It, it's always something with him. It's always mm-hmm. something. And I, I adore this guy. I mean, he's just one of the more likable characters in recent yes. memory on Top Chef. But dude, he just like it's always something. He's a there are always people in life. Eric always says this. Like they're the, they're they're the always something people, and many of them are your friends. But there's always a complication to the plan, to the evening, to the to the relationship, and he's that guy. Let's talk about Mike Isabella. Yeah, Chicken Florentine. He doesn't know what a Chicken Florentine is. Oh, I thought it was eggs. Was it eggs Florentine? Or eggs Florentine. Sorry, eggs Florentine. Right, right. Eggs Florentine. He didn't know what Florentine was. He didn't know what you know, where country it's from or what origin it's from. Um, and surprisingly, maybe not many of the chefs did or were they playing coy? That's my question to you, Kevin. When he's asking about, hey, do you know how to do a Florentine? Do you think the other chefs in the in the house were like, I don't know what you're talking about, Mike? Well, someone said like – and I don't – I know I see it on brunch menus and I know there's – I think it's like eggs Benedict and there's some spinach element. I don't know exactly what it is, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. cause it's not my thing, but uh, I don't know. Like it is one of those things. I mean, someone who was it, Laurie, someone is like, like, he's like, is it this? Is it Italian? Is it, he's like, she's like, 
it's Florentine. Uh, Florentine <laughs> meaning it's from Florence. Yes. Uh, so I don't know, like the Medici's are getting in on this. I mean, who the hell knows where it comes from? No one orders it ever, I don't think. And uh, I, I feel for Isabella going blind into this. Hey, don't, and, don't hate on a sautéed spinach, please. I'm a fan of sautéed spinach. I yeah, hated I am, as a kid having the the frozen spinach, like chopped oh, frozen I lo- spinach. The only spinach I would eat was that Stouffer's spinach. That exactly what you're talking about, like that Stouffer's mm, the block of <laughs> in the, the tinfoil. Yeah. I, I love that shit. As a kid, like my the mom, the only way it was edible it. was if just like a dollop of margarine on top is how my mom always made it. It was already kind of creamed corn. I mean, cream, yeah. cream spinach rather. Uh, he finishes in the middle. Uh, Eli finishes in the middle. It, it seemed like you know it was funny. They seemed to love Brian Baltagio's tuna Reuben, but it speaks to how deep the good dishes were. I mean, it's something we don't talk about a lot, right? Like, like where's the cutoff? The, yeah, the top four. Um, but Brian Voltaggio seemed to get a seal of approval. Eli seemed to get a seal of approval. Um, Isabella did fine. I think he, let's say he finished seventh and then you have eight, nine, 10, and we know who finished 10th. It, it, it's Ron. And I, I have a comment about Ron, Tom. I, I think it's unfair. Deconstruction is a term of art that is native to a very particular class of chefs in Anglophonic countries and maybe Francophonic countries. And I mean, I've seen some stuff in France, but like, I don't think it's fair to ask a guy who is not a native speaker. I mean, we know his life story. It's incredible. He, his first language is French. You know, I bet his second language is probably Creole. And I just think it's bullshit. Like you need somebody on set to explain this to him. And not because he needs training wheels. I just think like, look, if you're going to bring a diverse collection of chefs onto the show, you need to account for, you know, what's different. And I think he needed to get a tutorial. And I don't know, maybe they did this. Maybe the producers did this. But I think he should have been taken aside politely and inconspicuously. And maybe, again, I don't know if they did this, and, and just explain, like have a dish or, 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 or something and say, hey, by deconstruction, we mean this. You know, mm-hmm. this is, if you showed him four photographs of deconstructed dishes the dude's a chef he would have gotten it and instead he's trying like he's half he's done with his prep the night after the prep and like eli and kevin the atlanta guys are saying no this is it this is it and they they both said we i don't think he knows what it is and i just think it's that's bullshit i think the show needs to account for that not leave a guy treading water not knowing the challenge i felt the same way kevin I'm glad you brought this up because I felt the same way where I thought it was a um, a linguistic disadvantage where he just simply did not understand the dish because – or the, the 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 challenge because you saw how exci- – like I could play him saying paella like a hundred times because it was that, so much joy in getting that dish because what a, what a serendipitous thing is like he – of all the dishes that he could have ha- had to make – he got the one that he has made a billion times that is that speaks to his soul. And so when he's coming up to the table, I'm cringing because I know what they're thinking. I know what the judges are thinking. It's he didn't get this at all. Right. And whose fault is that? I mean, that, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't believe in sort of pandering or or, you know, that someone should get a, a leg up. I think but, that you need to account. You need to account for personal. I mean, just. 
what each person brings. And if you don't bring na- English as a native language, if you, you know, I mean, he clearly thought deconstruction was like, oh, it means taking one ingredient out. And it's like, yeah, he needs to be brief. Okay. Okay. Kevin, that aside, he produced a pretty shitty bowl of food. He yeah. did. He did. So even if he didn't, maybe, maybe it caused him to overthink things. He was in a, a fog of confusion and it made him just not cook the rice correctly. But, um, he he was told by the judges that a <laughs> it was at once soggy but dry um oily it was a, the, a a sad bowl of food so putting aside the unfair um uh disadvantage that he was he was confronting here i also think he just did not cook it well yeah i mean and that that is a thing and i think had he cooked it if it tasted good i mean i think tom called it a sad bowl of food you know, I'm sure one of the other twos, which were really, I mean, those are some clunkers. Um, ashes, which, as I mentioned, Chef Pie had no potato element and uh, kind of butchered the, the lamb cut. Uh, fish and know. chips with Lorraine's fish and chips with no actual chips, really. Um, got that. Yeah. I mean, a dry, a dry fish. I mean, one of the great things about a fish and chips is that it's, it's, it's fried and it's juicy and it's, and, she just didn't have that element in there. Uh, you can't nail either element. I mean, I'm not saying <laughs> potato crisp. Look, when you're working with ovens that aren't familiar to you, it is tough. I do feel for her, but just get it done. Have a contingency, you know, like you could have done anything. Like potatoes are really flexible in this challenge. You know, you could do anything and I mean, you could do like a duck fat potato dish or whatever. I mean, I don't know if they've done yeah. that, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just like both Ash and Lorene, I think, had straightforward, you know what the components are, dishes. And uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe it, my first thesis is correct that the more simple the dish, actually, the harder it is. But I just like you can't execute potato crisps. I mean, really, you know, have some mm-hmm. that are thick. Like, here's how I would do it. And I don't know if she did this. Have them a whole batch, different thickness. So if you do burn, by definition, you're going to have other ones that are a little thicker done. I mean, you can create like, I mean, you can, you can cut 75 discs easy. Um, there were what five plates. I mean, you could easily yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, yeah, come on. Yeah. Lorraine was probably the closest to going home. Um, besides Ron. And, oh, I thought it was uh, Ash. Yeah. Again, don't forget, Toby said, it's the dish I would least like to eat again. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They're all clunkers. You said it. They're all clunkers. And just to hit on right before we uh, – we, I have I have a where are they now. Okay, before we get to that, Eli's – this is a big part of the show to me. Eli brought a pressure cooker from home. Then it got destroyed in oh, the yeah. transit. You're right. And then he taped it together with the blue, you know, packing tape or painter's tape. I think it was painter's tape, actually. The blue painter's tape tried to seal it together. And then it blew up in front of Brian Voltaggio to top it all off, Kevin. And this is the part that just drives me crazy. There were apparently multiple pressure cookers in the kitchen that weren't broken. This is a, this is a health and safety violation by Eli. How do you do that? How do you a pressure cooker I mean, isn't that used is in like in like fucking uh in terrorist bombings? 
pressure cookers? I, I mean, and so I, despite his comment to Robin and despite this, I tend to like Eli, but I got to tell you, what is it? Your blankie? Like, like, come on, <laughs> <Yes>. man. <laughs> and by the way, it's clear, like, it would be one thing if it were some deluxe, like the greatest, by definition, it is defective. Like, yes. like what is the sentimental thing about an appliance? Like you're, 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 you're knife, keeping it I get. together with painters tape. What are you doing? I mean, come. How on. did any lawyer from Top Chef or Bravo not step in and say this is a horrible idea? We have got perfectly uh, usable, um, brand new pressure cookers over here, and if you don't know how to use that other pressure cooker, we've seen this a hundred times on Top Chef. Is that the pressure cooker doesn't work? Maybe there's you know maybe there's a certain you know using your own baseball glove or your blankie to your to your point. But dude, you're in you're in a kitchen with multiple other people in close quarters and you're going to use a pressure a defective pressure cooker when they're freely available, perfectly good pressure cookers available? What? And by the way, Brian Voltaggio of the Zen Master because I assume if he were upset, we would have seen a little upset. I mean, that's part <laughs> of the show. Like dude is I mean, much respect. I mean, to have I would have lost someone it. do something. Exactly. I would have been like, "What the fuck?" And he's just <laughs> He's just Buddha on the mountaintop, man. Like he is just I, – I have such admiration for that. Um, Ron Duprat, where are they now? Ron is currently the food and beverage director at a country club in Amarillo, Texas. After serving in that capacity for a couple of years at a country club in Carmel, Indiana. Um, did you happen to see in 2010 what he was named? No. What was he named? A culinary ambassador by Hillary Rodham Clinton. No way. Yeah, I didn't know that there was such a thing, but apparently the Secretary of State, uh, Hillary Clinton, named Ron Duprat a culinary ambassador um, to the United States. So that is pretty damn cool, Kevin. Super cool. Now, I would love to be named anything by the Secretary of State. The, the culinary ambassador, no less. So um, Amarillo, Texas, uh, I've never been there. I've only heard it in some like Texas country songs. Um, but congrats to c- congrats to Ron on getting that, that honor in 2010. And I do remember earlier, I think maybe last episode, I mentioned he and Mateen were hanging out like a couple months ago, which was really cool to see a decade later. So the Bonds of Top Chef are still there and have not been broken. It That was really cool. And seems like a really fun guy uh, and a fan favorite. So uh, cheers to Ron, um, even though he doesn't drink or, you know, that last week we established that he's not very good at creating any sort of cocktails. Um, but cheers, cheers to Ron and cheers to Michelle Bernstein, Kevin. Yeah. For just I mean- destroying Toby Young on that one. That was great. That interaction. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't consider who who's right or wrong. I mean, I guess Toby has a point, but I mean, I'm sorry. Hey, the answer is, is we do it for some things. We don't do it for others. I mean, the English language is pretty contradictory in a lot of ways. But um, do you have any closing thoughts, Tom? Um, next, pre- the preview for next episode, it appears, although we do not know for a fact, they didn't say it, they are going to cook in the house. Um, and it seems more vendetta between Robin and Isabella. So we've got them cooking in a house. I think Mike Isabella tripped and fell. Um, so it should be an interesting challenge. I hope it's 
better in terms of the cooking than the desert challenge. Um, but Michael Voltaggio, the, the preview says he, he is worried about getting sent home. So lots to come. For Tom Hyberstrom, I'm Kevin Ornovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. <laughs>